This is Kristen Zhivago, author of Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. I'll have more on Blinkist in a few minutes. And now on with the show. Today, we welcome Kristen Zhivago to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the book she has authored, Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy, published by Bristol and Shipley. Kristen Zhivago is president of Zhivago Partners, a digital marketing management company which provides digital marketing management and revenue coaching for her clients. She is one of the leading experts on the customer's buying process and was one of the first to see selling from the buyer's perspective. She speaks and teaches worldwide for companies and organizations and has spent decades as a revenue coach helping clients ranging from young startups to those in the Fortune 500, including Dow Jones, IBM, and Johnson & Johnson. And interesting fact, she has a 48-foot catamaran built in South Africa, and she and her husband sailed it home 8,000 miles to Rhode Island. Kristen, congratulations on Roadmap to Revenue and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So Kristen, I have to ask, are there any doctors in your family? <laughs> no, I was going to get a PhD at one point and I thought, ah, it's not worth it. Okay. So, okay. No, so, no, we're good. So maybe in the future, there may still be a, a Dr. Zhivago, but... Um, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, Kristen, your book, just so you know, and I think careful listeners to the podcast will understand, this is my kind of book <laughs> because <laughs> for a variety of reasons. One of them, as I said, uh, you know, Jerry Maguire, you had me at hello. Kristen Zhivago, you had me at revenue. <laughs> I see a book with the title revenue in it. I, I just jump all over. And then it has selling in there the way customers want to buy, which, of course, unpacks so many other things like the way people buy has changed. So uh -huh. this is a book made for the Marketing Book Podcast. I loved it. And, you know, in my mind, I have this idea to have like a CEO box set of a handful of books mm. that have been on the Marketing Book Podcast that I can hand to these CEOs who are wrestling with the things that you describe in this book and say, 
Look, there's been hundreds of books on the podcast. I've read them all. Here's just a few to get you started. Mm-hmm. And it also seemed like this book, a, a CEO could get it and hand it to their marketing person or maybe even better, uh, put somebody in charge of marketing and sales and call them chief revenue officer and just mm-hmm. hand them the book and say, this book, go do it mm-hmm. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or hire you. Mm-hmm. So tell us the story of how this book came to be and 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 why you wrote it. Well, I'd been a revenue coach to CEOs and entrepreneurs for a couple of decades, mostly in the tech industry. And um, I kept running into the same problem. There was an enormous gap between the seller's mindset and the buyer's mindset. So right out of the gate, the min- I don't care what they were doing, it was off target. It wasn't, they weren't selling the way their customers wanted to buy. And the customers have a buying process. They do things a certain way. They have certain skepticisms because they've been burned. Um, You know, I call it selling in the skepticism swamp. And as buyers, we know that we experience it every day. But the minute we put on our seller's hat, we turn into one of those terrible people that bugs you too much and, and automates their email and just forgets that we're talking to human beings who actually do have a buying process. Mm-hmm. And if we're not in sync with it, we're not going to sell. It's really simple. It's hard to do because everybody keeps, it's like gravity, you know, it just <laughs> keeps pulling you towards that selling mindset. And you're surrounded, as your company grows, it gets worse because you're surrounded by other people who are also in that seller mindset. So that's what started it. It's interesting. On uh, At the beginning of the book, you say marketing and selling is what you do. Mm-hmm. Buying is what your customer does. Yeah. So I yeah. want to read just one excerpt from the beginning okay. of the book. And then we'll we'll keep going. There's so many things to talk about. And in all fairness to you and the listener, we're not going to be able to cover everything. But uh, here's the excerpt. We all know that revenue comes from customers. The problem is customers are independent-minded. They don't necessarily do what you want them to do. You do everything that you think should work, but the results are discouraging. You get fewer responses than you thought you would. Those who do respond give you hope. You try to make the sale, but all too often, they don't buy. You're left wondering what to do. You read blogs and business books and attend webinars and seminars and hire consultants. You have numerous meetings with your trusted partners. You try one marketing and selling method after another, consuming precious capital and time trying to get potential customers to buy, but the revenue needle doesn't move. Why not? Because the answer isn't in the places you've been looking. Your customers are the only ones who know the real answers. They will tell you willingly what they want from you and how they want to buy it, but only if you ask them properly in the right way at the right time. So, Kristen, how do companies make it so difficult for customers to buy from them and why don't they why do they they realize that well again this is there's this mindset so if you put on your your buyer's hat and you think of the experiences you've had like if you go to a website and you try to get a simple question answered and it's not there and you look at Amazon for example and there are the reasons that, that there are reviews and questions answered by other customers it's because the manufacturer or the producer of that product didn't 
answer the question the customer has. (laughs) And it could be the simplest thing. Like in my book, I think I talk about buying back in the old days, but you know, people don't buy VCR stuff anymore, but let's say you're doing a CD player or something and you're putting it in a hutch and you want to know how far the, the cords stick out the back. That's all. You just want to know, is it a recessed area so they don't stick out as far as you think? How far beyond the actual measurement of the box do the cords stick out so that you know how much room you have to put it in your hutch? Well, they don't answer that question. And so that's why you have to revert to, you know, asking other customers. And if you look at those questions that the customers answer for other questions, uh, for other customers, Mm -hmm. There's the most basic, does this work with my ex? Yes, it does. Okay. Is it compatible? And we all have those questions and the manufacturers don't answer them because they don't know that we're asking those questions. And so my book is really about, well, like, duh, why don't you ask the customers what their questions are and what they were concerned about when they were buying? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, anyone who reads this book and it's, let's say they're selling something on Amazon, and they see questions being asked by other customers that aren't answered. I could imagine the CEO screaming, why are we not answering these questions first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Assuming he's smart enough to go into Amazon and look at his own listings, which <sighs> he may not even do. Yep. So this, this whole disconnect, and I kept finding this gap, and I've mentioned this in my speeches over the years, but the, the truth is, I would go to a company and they were nice people. They're not jerks because I don't do business with jerks. So they're okay. And then I start working for them and they tell me what they think is important to the customer. And Uh it's a list. It's like one through 10. And then I go out and interview customers for them. People who've already bought, have a vested interest in the company, are happy to spend time with you and help you. Not, Not while you're selling to them, by the way, that's very important. But you interview them after they've bought. And then they have, they tell you what was most important to them. And we have rebranded entire companies on this, where it turns out they thought that the biggest thing was we were compatible with QuickBooks. And all the customers said, oh, everybody's compatible with QuickBooks. That doesn't matter. I don't care if your thing's a little more elegant or not. Everybody is. Or they assume they're all compatible. Yeah, or they assume, exactly. It's baseline promises. So then they would say, okay, what I really liked about this particular product was that when I entered something once, it went everywhere else it was supposed to go in the system. So all the people in my company had everything they needed, and it was only entered once. And that was really important to us. And so we ended up renaming the company from something like Pioneer Software or whatever to Field One because it was field management software. Number one in the field, only enter it once in the field and so on. That's the kind of thing that then resonates with the customer and the customer goes, oh, good, they get it. Oh, good, they get me. They they know what I'm looking for. And right away, they recognize you as somebody who has their best interest at heart because mm-hmm. you know what it is. Yes, it's just amazing. And I, you talk about how uh, you'll come back after doing these customer interviews. And in the book, you explain exactly how to do it and, and, mm-hmm. and, and what not to do mm-hmm. during these interviews. And they'll come, you'll come back and say, well, this is what's important, kind of like you had there. And they'll think, oh, but that's not the most important thing. 
they, they'll, in other words, they'll want to talk about what's important to them, maybe from an engineering standpoint or something that's it's 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 uh, interesting to them. But they're so disconnected. It really, like you said, it's really easy to to say and explain. Very difficult for companies to do. Now, what I want to ask you about is this concept of the shift which is probably uh-huh. my favorite concept in the whole book because I've uh-huh. seen companies that have been on either side of it. And it's like, uh, to borrow a marketing book uh, analogy, it's, it's like crossing a chasm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> what is the the shift? You start the book with the, the idea of the shift, and then at the end you talk about uh, the problems that uh, and challenges that companies have making it. Uh-huh. Well, the shift is going from being customer, from being company centered to customer centric. And I could have sent centered both ways, but it doesn't matter. You, you either have your best interests at heart and that's driving everything you're doing, in which case you feel like a predator. So if you take this down to a, a relationship situation and a guy is after a girl and it's obvious the, there's only one thing he wants from her. Okay, mm-hmm. and we know what it is. And he's a predator. He doesn't care about her. He doesn't really, he just wants that one thing. And in the case of selling, it's their money. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, they know that right off the bat because you're not helping them meet their goals. You're not listening to them. You're not, you're not, re- you're just pushing. And that's what makes people feel sort of dirty about selling because it's you're just predatory you're just looking at them as a mark even the language that has to go with marketing like target market and you know shotgun approach <laughs> it's all very they're a mark and we're out to get them and take from them without giving them anything of value in return really mm-hmm. and so there there's that problem where you're thinking about what the company needs we need more revenue we need more sales we need more money close, 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 versus the customer who, ironically enough, wants to buy something. Everybody forgets when they put on their seller hat that there are a billion people out there at this very moment who are trying to buy something because they really want it. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to buy from the person who makes it the easiest, who answers their specific questions in a way that satisfies them, truly answers the questions. And they just, they get, it's very easy. Okay, all right, I'm sticking with you. You've answered my questions now. I can see how big it is. I can see the material close up. Oh, good, you did a a picture showing the quarter next to this, so I know how big it is. Okay, I'm buying. And that's the customer's perspective as they're, they're on a quest. They actually are on a quest just like you're on a quest to get their business, they're on a quest to buy your product. And if you're not on the same road with them, I don't know, years and years ago, there used to be this Pac-Man thing with Pac-Man was eating through stuff and it's like trying to eat through a mountain or something and you end up in a different place. And and you're both trying to get to the same place. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it happens all the time. Yeah, and I don't think, um, at least as long as we're working, companies are, it seems like they're always going to be wrestling with this. Yes. Yes, it's it's human nature. It's I want sales now suddenly and so and I'm it's my product. I'm very familiar with it. Everyone in my company is very familiar with it. We're in a little club and we talk to each other all day and it's all about us and we understand us and you forget, you stop thinking like a customer, which is why these interviews are so important. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, marketers who have read my book and then done the interviews 
have come back to me and said, oh my God, I can't believe what has happened. They're finally listening to me because I'm suddenly the voice of the customer. Mm -hmm. I have found out the real truth and we suddenly understand why that certain thing wasn't selling and now we know what to do to make it sell. And honestly, you mentioned earlier that it's really hard to get them to think the right way. But I will tell you, once they've read those 50 to 150 pages of the customers talking, because we transcribe, we record with permission and transcribe all of the conversation, then split them up into categories. So it's anonymous. But the CEO sees that 15 people all said the same thing about that particular topic. And it's, it is pretty hard to walk away from that. I've never had a CEO have any other reaction than look up at me with tears in his eyes and go, oh my God, I had no idea that yep. we, you know, so they do accept it. They do listen if, if you present it properly. I think you also talk about how sometimes they, they get angry or they think these, these customers, they're, they're wrong. Yes, that happens. And, and unfortunately those are, Again, that's why I don't work with jerks because they they in they will fly in the face of overwhelming evidence and resist. They're obstructionists, mm -hmm. and I just I you can't you can't fix an obstructionist. Yeah, you know how that movie's going to end. Yeah, <laughs> you certainly do. That's right. Yeah, yep. you know it, it reminds me. Uh, a few years ago, we were doing uh, it was for an av television advertising client, and they were um, we were just stopping people on the street to ask them questions about that category and, and so forth. And nothing got the client quieter than, uh, like you say, uh, reading transcripts of interviews or even this one particular video we did where they just heard people talking about them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it mm -hmm. was just, I'd never seen the client so quiet. And it really, really got their attention. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a brush with, uh, a real brush with reality. So I was wondering if you could... Um, Walk us through the steps of the roadmap to revenue quickly, and then we'll come back to the first one. And they are uh, discover, debate, and deploy. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you have to do is interview current customers. You can interview past customers too or whatever, but people who have bought from you. And creating that list is very important. It's, it's a three-way chess game where you're saying, okay, we want a representative sample so we want big customers, little customers, happy customers, not so happy customers, um, long-term customers, uh, spend a lot, spend a little. There's all these criteria that you will use that are specific to your business. This is different. That's not, that's, that's not a cookie cutter part. That's part takes some, some thinking and trade off. Mm -hmm. And then you develop a list and you have to have three times the number of people that you want to end up with. Because you get first through the first third will respond to you the first time. The second third will respond to you after a second reminder. And the third third will never respond to you. Mm -hmm. You send them an email. You say what you're doing. You've been hired by the CEO or you work for the CEO. And you want to just ask them how we can improve and what was your buying process. You tell them it's open-ended questions. And I have the questions in the book. There's probably about 10 or 11 of them that were worked out over literally thousands of interviews. Mm -hmm. And um, you get them to open up um, and you tell them just what I said earlier, that it's going to be anonymous because we split it into categories. All that's in the book, chapter three, absolute word for word. Here's how to do it. So you build the list. Then you talk to the people you have, you schedule interviews. And usually there are 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and, uh, and then you have that recorded. And again, you tell them you're going to do that. 
um, and then you transcribe it, and then you work you or your assistant or whatever you work it into a report that's categorized by subject. And then you also do another report where you summarize your findings and you make recommendations about what you found, you know, the top line uh, kind of thing. So that report then becomes the roadmap. And we also, when I was doing all only revenue coaching work, I now also run this digital marketing company. But when I was just a revenue coach, I would spend a day or two with the, the whole client uh, group in a room with big post-its on the wall and we would take all of this data and start applying it, figuring out what needed to be done, understanding, brainstorming and all that, that then becomes your revenue roadmap. And so you debate it and then you deploy it. And you, so there's one line in the book where you said, the goal here is for the customer reality to end up on the walls. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's where the shift begins, by the way, going uh -huh. back to your idea about the shift. And I have to say the best example of this I've ever seen that and experienced personally, I've worked for, I went, I was consulting to IBM for a number of years and writing all their instructions for their marketers and teaching people how to copyright and so on all around the world. And during that time, uh, I was working for them before Lou Gerstner showed up and then while he was there and oh, then after right. he left. Yes. And he was a customer of IBM before he became the CEO. And he spent 40% of his time visiting customers, which is unheard of, considering he had 300,000 people working for him. But he was the voice of the customer. And I swear that everyone at IBM actually made the shift during that time. They knew they were supposed to think like customers. They were totally open to the customer's perspective and trying to make it easier for them and all that. It really did transform the company. It was amazing to watch. Mm. So any CEO who thinks, you know, it's not possible, there's too much politics, there's too many people with agendas, well, try 300,000 people. My goodness, you know. It's a, a great case study in leadership by example. And if it's yeah. important to the boss... It's important yeah. to everyone else. If they think it's flavor of the month, management yeah. kick, um, yeah. management by in-flight magazine, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just going it, to, they're just going to wait for it to you know, pass. Yep. Yep. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist can help your career. Listening to the Marketing Book Podcast says more about you than you may realize. In addition to being physically attractive, Seriously, I've met many of you, and you are a very attractive audience. It also means that you're curious and serious about your business success, and you enjoy learning new things. And your interest in learning also means you're either successful or will be, because all the research indicates that big learners are big earners. Plus, with all the changes happening in marketing and sales, continuous learning is crucial. But there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 2,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. 
And the books that are on Blinkist are really top-notch, including several books that have been featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Merriman Scott, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday, Epic Content Marketing by Joe Polizzi, Everybody Writes by Ann Hanley, Hug Your Haters by Jay Bear, and many, many more. It took me hours to read those books, but you can get smart audio summaries of each one in just 15 minutes. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 1 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. I recommend getting the yearly plan, that's what I did, and getting 20% off because you're going to want to keep it anyway. But don't worry because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, and that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the Marketing Book Podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. It's a great, inexpensive, and very smart investment in your professional development and career. And now, back to the show. When you're helping the companies to increase their revenue, you often find that the their processes need most of the work, not necessarily their marketing and sales. Yeah, so I need to back up to my most famous quote, which is your that branding is the promise that you make, your brand is the promise that you keep. And the way you keep that promise is with your people, your products, your processes, your passion, and there's another P I can't think of at the moment. Um, but but the biggest thing I find is the people are fine. The products are pretty good, you know, certainly yeah. uh, competitive in the market. Um, and the passion is usually there. But the processes suck. People just don't do processes well. And it's a really serious problem. And I can tell you right now, I've had this I've opened this company a year ago and we have unbelievable people and unbelievable processes and systems to support them. And I can't tell you, I, I mean, we've just shot up, we've um, tripled revenue and it, you know, it's just been amazing to watch when nobody's in the way of us doing good processes and systems. You can't believe how much faster you will grow and how much more revenue you'll bring in if people aren't doing stupid things twice or, or just things that don't matter, you know, it's just amazing. And now with the new apps that are out in the market, the good process, there's actually decent project management apps now and other apps. Apps are finally coming into their own after 20 years of software development out in the business world. Mm -hmm. It's really, really happening now. <laughs> and CRMs are getting better. Yeah, they are, finally, <laughs> finally, yeah. Interesting, but... uh but do you also see a lot of companies who maybe have lousy processes, maybe lousy sales processes, and they think they can just put lipstick on a pig and say, well, just let's just improve our marketing or, or something like that. That'll, well, that'll take care of it. That's such a big subject. I could talk about that subject for 20 hours. I mean, <laughs> and the big problem, I should mention, by the way, that sales, traditional selling, push, you know, cold calling, the whole thing, it is absolutely 100% 
obsolete and broken. Period. Mm. It's just over. It's completely over. People are making buggy whips and thinking there's no cars. The customer is out driving a car and doesn't care about the way people sell anymore. And they hate it. They hate cold calls. They hate people that push them and say, hi, I'm calling. I'm not calling to sell you anything. Oh, yeah, you just interrupted my dinner. I don't know who you are. And you're telling me. I mean, it's a lie. They just lie. Okay, it's not working. I think they've always hated it. Oh, of course. Just now that they can avoid it. Now they can avoid it. Exactly. Now they have an alternative. And the alternative is to go online themselves, talk to customers that nobody could talk to customers before the Internet. Now they, unless, you know, some guy knew some guy, uh, you know, in a club or something, or they met at some function or something, that was the only thing they had outside of the salesperson. Totally not true now. And yet everybody's behaving as if it's still the same. It's not. So now we're starting to look at it more as a customer service kind of function. Yes, we still introduce, we actually do cold calling kinds of things for our clients, but it's a very careful combination of things that help the customer make it easy for them to buy. Um, and yes, is it still difficult? Yes, but we don't push. And and in the book, uh, one part you talked about how um, you know there's you were approached by I think a, a marketing company at one point years ago, and, and it's almost like they wanted to get married on the first date. Yeah. And uh, I should add that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk the very yeah. popular marketer. Yep. He refers to this as the 19-year-old dude move, <laughs> which is the 19-year-old dude who thinks he's going to get some serious romantic action on that first date. Mm-hmm. And then you explain how you know now it's not about, hi, uh, do you want to buy some jet engines? <laughs> it's, it's, hi, we've got some information that might be really helpful for you. Can I send it to you? Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing we need to say about the book is, and, and this is one of the main contributions I think I made to the to the whole selling and marketing arena is that that you can actually divide all of the products and services in the world into four categories based on the amount of scrutiny that the customer applies to the purchase. Mm-hmm. We have light scrutiny, medium, heavy, and intense. Light is see it, buy it, impulse purchase, not very much money, uh, candy bars at the checkout counter. Right. Okay. Don't have to involve anybody else. Don't have to ask a lot of questions. Can I afford it? Can my waistline afford it? Okay, I'm done. Medium is clothing, things like that. In the B2B world, it's just uh, small subscription, software subscription. But you only ask a few questions and there's more questions and you might get somebody else involved. But okay, it's just a medium purchase. Maybe less than $1,000. Oh, absolutely. There, I put in the book the price ranges, but we're mm-hmm. talking tens of dollars, or one and ten dollars in the in the light scrutiny, hundreds maybe, uh, you know, up to a hundred in the medium, and then in heavy is big things like cars and houses and long term um, arrangements with B two B vendors and things like that, and those are thousands of dollars. And then you get into intense, where it's still all the heavy stuff, lots of people involved, a million questions, long sales cycle, but then you sign a contract, you get married. And what I found is that people who were selling intense scrutiny products and services were suddenly trying to treat them like they were light scrutiny. Yes. See it, buy it. No, no, I'm sorry. No way. And the other spectrum, too, where light scrutiny people were writing newsletters on chewing gum. I mean, no, nobody cares. 
<laughs> so it this is that was where I had to sort of characterize the gap. And the interesting thing about the scrutiny scale is that when I say all of this, people always know where they are on the scale. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the book then has chapters, one chapter for each type of scrutiny that just says, look, this is how they're buying. This is these are the questions they have. This is what you have to do. Yes, it's such a it was like spending short of doing interviews. It was a great reminder of what's going through their heads. And mm-hmm. when someone sets out to buy a, a product or service, they bring what you call antithetical emotions to the process, which are desire mm-hmm. and skepticism. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You, you talk about how desire compels them forward, mm-hmm. <laughs> skepticism yanks them back. I was wondering if you could talk about that as well as um, you know, the career capital that people are investing in making some of these decisions, particularly on the, the right side of your spectrum, medium, heavy, intense. Oh, right, right, right. So, so let's talk about that first. So you start, a, one of the things I did in, as a revenue coach is I would go in and turn around marketing and sales departments. And so I was suddenly an entrepreneur in a corporate environment. The first thing I had to realize, I had to calm myself down by about 80%. <laughs> you were dealing with fast. icebergs that don't yeah, move yeah. quickly. That was the first thing. The second thing I realized is that when I showed up, and me and everyone else who showed up into a corporation, you get a little whiteboard. It's invisible, oh, but no. it's this little whiteboard. <laughs> it goes around your chest, and it's your personal whiteboard. And whenever you make a mistake... You get a black mark on your whiteboard. Uh And after a while, if you get too many black marks on your whiteboard, you can sit in a meeting and have the most amazing idea and everyone will just roll their eyes and ignore it (laughs) because you're just, you're tainted, you know? Mm -hmm. So what happens in corporate environments is everyone tries to avoid making mistakes because they don't want any black marks on their whiteboard. And everyone who sells to them doesn't realize that's really what's going on. Mm. They don't want to be embarrassed. So that's more of a compelling um, factor in sales than greed or because when people are buying things for companies, they're not, it's not about greed. There's no money involved for them. It's just a budgetary. It's a, it's a number on a page. The embarrassment factor is the real big deal. And that's why they're so skeptical. Skeptical. They just, don't want you to make them look bad. And and I would argue that that's why I think B2B purchases, uh, buyers are, it's often even more emotional than a B2C purchase. Yeah, I would agree with that. The, the ramifications are very serious. Oh, yeah. That whiteboard around their neck. <laughs> well, and not only that, but if they make the wrong decision, the company could go under or they could live with this mistake for the next three years where everybody goes, oh, well, Bob was the one that recommended that system. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, they can't live it down. I mean, people quit jobs over it and go somewhere, work somewhere else where they start out with a clean whiteboard. And I think that sellers or marketers, they, they forget about just how, uh, how much risk and, and how much fear Mm-hmm. Uh, is involved there. And uh, there's one point in the book where you even talked about how um, I loved how you skewered marketing gurus and, and, and ad agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talked about how uh, in content, and you talk quite a bit of the book about the importance of content. And you were talking about like be, be educational, mm-hmm. try to resist the uh, recommendation of your ad agency, <clears throat> which is trying to win a creative award, uh, mm-hmm. to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that is mm-hmm. not. That, that is going to hurt you. 
Well, and you could argue, you know, you could say, well, what about the great Apple ads? And weren't those entertaining? And yes, they were. The 1984 ad that was so famous, it only ran once Mm -hmm. um, that no one's ever forgotten. But it was really right on. It was the renegade Apple girl running up in her T-shirt, you know, throwing the big hammer at the corporate drones the big blue IBM. It was so classy. It was so in line with the people who buy Macs. Mm-hmm. It was actually, that's the one thing. Everybody says they want to be like Steve Jobs. But the thing that Steve had is he understood what the customer wanted. Amen. He he really did. Yeah. And, and uh, I should also add, there was another book, uh, another author on the podcast, uh, Tom Hogan, who wrote... Um, the Ultimate Startup Guide. The, mm-hmm. You may know them from your days in Silicon Valley. Yep. And uh, he in their book he wrote it with Carol Broadbent, and uh, they talked about how the the legend of 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 Steve Jobs was probably one of the worst things to happen to uh, oh god yes. startup CEOs because they all think they're supposed to do exactly right what Steve Jobs did. Well, and what, they couldn't because they weren't thinking like the customer, and he was. Yes. And he said, you know, I don't need to talk about the customer, but he really did. He actually went into his stores and he inter- he he rubbed shoulders with customers all the time. He just didn't make a big deal out of it. Right. And also he had a lot of problems along the, along the way. He got fired mm-hmm. from his company and he came yeah. back and he learned a lot. Yep. And people seem to uh, gloss over that. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about that mm. is this, uh, so helpful is if you could explain the notion of or the concept of the critical characteristic. Mm-hmm. So the, remember I was talking about that company that thought QuickBooks was the critical characteristic, the mm-hmm. thing that made the difference. And it wasn't. It really wasn't. And the customer had their own critical characteristic. And it's usually a gating factor. So uh, it has to have this or I'm not going to buy it. That's that's one type of critical characteristic. And you need to know what that is. And and I don't think a lot of the app companies, you know, lately we've been talking to some people about a conferencing system because the one we had, we weren't that happy with um, a screen sharing kind of thing. And uh, they keep offering discounts and stuff. And I don't want discounts uh, because that just makes me nervous that they're desperate, mm-hmm. which goes contrary to every salesperson's instinct. Um, so that you have to know what the critical characteristic is. And sometimes there's more than one, but there's usually one big one that you have to pass before you can get through. And I like to think of that, tying that together with another um, thought, which is the whole um, Kentucky Fried Chicken finger-licking-good moment. You must be reading my screen here because (laughs) (laughs) there's another question. There's another thing you asked earlier. It was about the branding, and it was like, damn it, she is clearly reading my screen. The Kentucky Fried Chicken thing, I read that here in the office, and we were howling with laughter. Please tell that story. Okay, so this actually came from a guy that was a marketing guy, and he was talking to me, and he was telling me that he was sitting in a room full of his engineers, and trying to find this critical characteristic, this this um, you know this moment, this this thing that so makes the product so good, and they were doing feeds and speeds and bits and bytes and all that stuff. What was he doing wrong there that well, he should have been doing? Well, of course, he was talking to the people who made the product to ask them what they thought was important to the customer, which yes. doesn't work. <laughs> right, 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 right. So he finally got so frustrated by everything they were saying. He said, "You know, if you were selling Kentucky Fried Chicken." The top of your data sheet, whatever, would say dead chicken parts. 
and the subhead would be fried in grease at 200 degrees. And that's how you would sell Kentucky Fried Chicken. You would not, one of you in this room would have thought of finger licking good. Right. And right. I love that analogy because it's the peak Kentucky Fried Chicken moment. You're licking your fingers, but you haven't yet gotten indigestion. <laughs> so it's just that moment that, you know, I'm really glad I bought this chicken. So part of my questioning of customers is asking them, uh, you know, what is that moment for you? What's the thing that when you, when you saw it or you used it for the first time or whatever it was, that was your peak moment. We said, man, I'm glad I got this. Or now I know I'm going to buy it because it has this, that critical characteristic is really important. And it could be the thing that actually propels your product way ahead of everybody else. One, because you're tying right back into what they want Two, you've delivered it. And three, you're talking about it. And mm -hmm. your your competitors may not even be in the same room. Yeah, and let me just add to that um, that KFC story. You talk about how because I think so many people listening are going to relate to this. You talk about how the engineers in the room sure. wanted the tagline to focus on one of the more challenging to create aspects sure. of the product. Sure. They were in sure. love with their product, or they tried to be slick. <laughs> And they came up with meaningless <laughs> slogans such as limited only by your imagination. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I, I was laughing to keep from crying, Kristen Javago. Yes. So one other last question I'm going to ask, just because it, 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 was, it, it was on page, holy cow, page 244. And I just saw this and I thought, you know, first off, I, I went through two markers going through your book because there's <laughs> so much stuff I'm stealing. And okay. I, next to this one, I wrote, in, in capital letter, ask, exclamation okay. point. Okay, so there's, you said there's two positions that should be added to marketing departments. And mm -hmm. one of them is the answer generator, mm -hmm. and the other is a metrics maven. Please mm -hmm. explain. Well, and nobody's doing it yet. I wish they were. Um, the answer generator is the person who finds out from the customers what the questions are, does all this research. It looks online. I mean, the beautiful thing now is we can go to forums and you can go to the reviews and you can see customers talking with each other. Or like we talked about earlier, the Amazon questions. Yeah, yeah. It's all out there now. It's all transparent. So you have someone who does nothing but look for that and talk to customers, interview them, and then come back and say, okay, these are their top 10 questions. We need to make sure they're answered. And you almost like do an audit and say, are they answered on the website? Are they answered in this, you know, the emails that we're sending out? Are they answered in our blogs? You know, mm -hmm. people often forget, they keep writing for Google, but <laughs> Google's only trying to serve up what the customer wants. And if you give the customer what they want, then Google likes you. It's a weird dynamic. But yeah, there's, there a, there's a quote out there about how Google doesn't love you until everyone else does first. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly right. That is very good. So that's one type of person that that's, they just focus on answering questions because what do you do when you buy? You have questions and you want answers. That's it. That's really simple, folks. So you need somebody focused on that. And the second thing is marketing doesn't measure itself. It's getting better. It, digital is making it a little bit easier now. We can get closer with AdWords and and conversion rates and bounce rates and, and impressions and click-throughs and all that stuff. We're all getting better at that. Um, but you need somebody to then take that. And we've created uh, dashboards, very sophisticated dashboards for our clients. So they can pretty much see everything that's happening with their account and their marketing and their stats. 
Um, but you need somebody then make sense of it and say, okay, that's happening over here, but how does that relate to this? How was it improved? Are we then, maybe we're getting more impressions or more visitors, but are we converting them? Mm. And I'm really focusing on conversion right now. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. So, Kristen, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Don't assume that you are thinking like your customer, because I guarantee you're not. I guarantee it. No truer words have been spoken. Oh, it's just amazing. Um, but I think sometimes it makes my hair hurt. <laughs> I know that feeling, yes. Oh, so what um, what books have inspired your work and career? I'm actually currently reading the EOS books, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, because we've got a client who's one of their practitioners. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty good books. They're pretty good books. Um, in fact, the one, I think the one... So Gino uh, Wickham? Yeah. And then one of them is Get a Grip. Yes. Uh, and the person who's in that book is uh, named Alan, who's the practitioner, is actually our client, Rainey, uh, who does this for other companies. It's oh. just a very logical, forthright, non-political way of getting everyone on the same page. And it's smart. It's it's simple. It's basic in in some ways, but it's one of those things where your hair stops hurting because you know that if you do this, it's going to lead to a good result. So that's one of the things I'm reading right now. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I. You know, you and I are both in the agency world, and uh, I know a lot of my fellow agency owners and uh, managers have been very pleased with that. It works really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, are there any recent or upcoming books you? have heard about or recommend looking forward to reading? Well, I've got a million of them in my office. I, I haven't read them all, I confess, because sometimes I'll start one and I'll say I've heard of it and then I start reading it and I go, oh, they, they're missing the point. <laughs> so, you know, you've, you often end up back at the ones that really, really kind of changed your mind and helped you understand. I mean, one of the good books for me was Trust Agents. I thought that was a good book. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Guy Kawasaki, I've known him a long time. Some of those books are, are interesting. Again, anything that gets you thinking about thinking the way your customer thinks to me is a good book. And everything beyond that is just a lot of theory and, uh, you know, people running around with some one big idea and then trying to make a whole book out of it. Yes, I, I think of that in a similar way where I'll read a book and I'll think, you know what, I, I just got my marketing brain a bit rewired. Mm-hmm. Or it's like I got some sort of upgrade, uh, a mental hard drive upgrade, and it's completely changed the way I think. Sort of like, I don't know, maybe getting a new lens mm-hmm. uh, through which to see everything. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yes, I and, and I always remember those, the ones that really kind of got me, uh, it's like, uh, you know, sailing in the blue ocean and suddenly you make a course correction. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. There mm-hmm. we go. Yeah. So Kristen, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Uh, best thing is either go to Amazon and just type in Roadmap to Revenue and the book's available in hardcover or Kindle or audio. The audio book is brand new. Uh, and, or just go to zhivagopartners.com just to see what we do and, how we operate. And there's some information about the book in there. And there's also quite a few podcasts that I've done, um, which, you know, if people like listening to podcasts. There's a lot of them on the speaking page. Yeah, great. Well, and we're going to include on your episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, a link to 
uh, JivagoPartners.com, and mm-hmm. we'll include a link to you on uh, Twitter. She's Great. she's Kristen Zhivago on Twitter. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, for the listeners out there, please, if you're on Twitter, please uh, reach out to Kristen and thank her for being on the podcast. I'm Marketing Book, if you want to add me to the conversation. And we'll also include a link to Kristen's uh, LinkedIn profile. And if you're listening, uh, to, for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to this show on your podcast player, uh, like Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the link for the show notes. The name of the book is Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. The author is Kristen Zhivago. Kristen, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. I loved it. And that closes the book on episode 191 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor Blinkist to support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. Visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. And please join us next time as we welcome Shep Hyken to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, The Convenience Revolution, how to deliver a customer service experience that disrupts the competition and creates fierce loyalty. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. 